Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. Michael and I will share with you the wisdom of the ancient Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic Rachma. Michael is the author of Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, For more information on Michael or myself or forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, your co-hosts, the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. Hi, and welcome to the show. This is Miracle Monday, Monday, May the 23rd, 2016. Air call-in number is 646-200-4169. Press 1, and that puts you in queue to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and your questions because that makes this your show. Welcome, Michael. Thank you, dear heart, and welcome, everybody. We are honored that you're here to join us to uh, engage in this conversation about forgiveness a la Course in Miracles today. We've got an absolutely gorgeous sunny day here in Allenton, Florida. Went out and did a little walk this morning and uh, had some heavy rains a couple of days ago. They were talking about tornadoes, and, uh, man, things were torn up out there. I don't know whether we actually got a tornado or close to a tornado that went through here, but some pretty good damage to trees and stuff strewn around. But in any event, it washed the air, and we have this gorgeous sunny day with blue skies. Absolutely beautiful day to walk. And we're honored that you're here to join us, and uh, Omen and Shante do some awesome music from the course, and the key line from this one, those who seek the light are merely covering their eyes. Let's listen to Omen and Shante.
Michael, I think you're talking, but you're muted. The old mute challenge. I'm back. So thank you, Oman and Shanti, for your awesome voices. It's kind of unfortunate that through the radio it doesn't come through so clean as it is on the uh, original CD, but some pretty uh, pretty sweet music. So I'd like to uh, today to talk from A Course in Miracles about um, a lesson called Healing the Dream. I'm going to integrate a couple of other things as well, but it's from Chapter 27 in the Course, Healing the Dream. And let's start out with a, a, a definition of what we mean by a dream. When you recognize that all is energy, if we listen to Einstein, he says, on such things as matter, we have been all wrong. What we have heretofore called matter is energy, energy whose vibrations have been so lowered as to be perceptible to the senses. There is no matter. So we could use that statement of Einstein's as an analogy for this lesson in the Course Because if matter doesn't exist of itself, except as a state of organized energy, it would be a big mistake to make your life all about matter when it's what's back of and superior to the matter that's the key. In other words, what is the matter? The matter is a product I would offer, of what happens with your mind. And yet the central figure in most people's lives is the material world. In fact, this particular lesson in the course starts out with the thought, the body is the central figure in the dreaming world. There is no dream without it. So the body is the central figure. So we could use Einstein's statement to say matter is the central figure or the central focal point of most people's people's lives. Kind of like the story of the goose that laid the golden egg. Remember, the golden egg became the central point of the story for everybody. And they forgot about the source of the eggs, the goose. So the goose being ignored ended up in trouble well, everybody became enamored with the eggs. We become locked into this thing that's called the body, and it's something that doesn't even exist. It's a dream. I love what Carl Jung says to us. He says, those who look without, dream. That is, if you're looking at a world of bodies, you think you're looking out there into the external world, It's not true. You're not. You're looking at pictures painted on the inside of your eyeballs made out of what's moving in you. And because you've been trained to see a world of bodies, the pictures on the inside of your eyeballs look like bodies. And if that becomes a central figure in your dream, in your life, then it's like becoming enamored with the golden eggs rather than the source of the golden eggs. We lose our creatorship. Creatorship lies in knowing that we are creators, and the key to what and how we create is the energy that we live in. So one who understands starts to look within at what's going on with the mind, and there's the second half of Carl Jung's quote. He says, those who look within awaken. We awaken from the dream of a world of bodies when we realize that all is energy and what organizes the energy that reflects is what looks like a body, pictures of a body, is what we do with our minds. So now understanding the central figure of the dream Instead of taking care of the body, fixing the body, getting the body stuff, satisfying the body, getting money, using the body to work for things that are a waste of time. This, this lesson is a, 
an interesting point in it. It says the body takes a central place in every dream, which tells a story of how it was made by other bodies, born into the world, outside the body, lives a little while, dies, to be united in dust with other bodies, dying like itself. In the brief time allotted it to live, it seeks for other bodies as its friends and enemies. Its safety is its main concern. Its comfort is its guiding rule. It tries to look for pleasure and avoid things that would be hurtful. Above all, it tries to teach itself its pains and joys are different and can be told apart. In other words, it can't tell that it's living in a world of energy, and it's all energy. And the energy that one engages in becomes painful if it doesn't belong in the structure, and it becomes joyful if it does belong in the structure. So the dreaming of the world takes many forms because the body seeks in many ways to prove it is autonomous and real. It puts things on itself that is bought with little metal discs or paper strips the world proclaims is valuable and real. It works to get those paper strips doing senseless things and tosses them away for senseless things it does not need or does not even want. So what happens if we give up the dream of a world of bodies? Then the central figure in our lives is no longer the effect world of bodies but becomes the state of being the central figure in your life becomes your state of being and taking care of that state of being and the energies you engage in so that you maintain your human life which is far more important than maintaining the life of the body. If you've ever held a newborn child, you know exactly what human life is. You know that, you know, and, and, and when we've asked, you know, tens of tens of thousands of people all over the globe this question, describe the essence of your newborn, and everybody's answer is always some variation on the theme of love. Everyone knows what human life is. It is the presence of love. Maintaining your human life should be the central point of your life, not making, earning little paper strips, doing things that others say you should be doing to keep them happy or to keep something else going on in your world. Sacrificing your human life and you know, I'd, I'd like to ask people when they answer that the newborn is love, I have to ask the question, well, is the newborn loving you? And they cock their heads a little bit and think about it and say, well, no, no, the newborn is love. So then loving isn't something, love isn't something we do to each other. It's a state of being. Make the central focal point of your life owning and maintaining your state of being and rather than taking care of the world of bodies and sacrificing love, sacrificing the truth of who you are for something to take care of your body or give it pleasure, do whatever it takes to take care of your state of being. And by so doing, you strengthen your state of being in the world, and that doesn't mean you love anybody. It means you are the presence of love. And the whole world has fallen prey to this dream of a world of bodies. And it's time to recognize that the energies we engage in, yes, they have an impact on what we call the body. We, they have an impact on the energetic dynamics that impact your physiology. You know, relative to your integrated energy field, which your brain shows you as a body, it's not a body at all. If you could see what people call the body, you'd see this whirring mass of electrons, protons, neutrons, and light. You wouldn't see a body. That's just a picture the mind makes up out of it. The same way that someone who looks at a spinning airplane propeller sees a shiny silver disc, they don't see the propeller. They're tricked 
into thinking, thinking something's true that isn't true. So you don't have a body. You have a state of being that either incarnates in your energy system or doesn't. And the predominant resonant energies within your energy system will determine whether it will be easy for you to incarnate as love or a challenge and difficult. Because relative to that device which is designed, your energy system, that whirring mass of electrons, protons, neutrons, and light, that is designed to hold the presence of love in your world, hold your human life, there are two qualities of energy. There's that which builds it up and that which tears it down. There's integrative energy and disintegrative energy. It's amazing how many people will engage in totally, completely hateful, rageful energies in order to gather a few of those little green paper strips that people call money to buy something for their body. They've given up their human lives totally in order to get something for the body, the dream. And so recognizing that everything we engage in is an energy, then obviously if your energy system, which you call your body, is going to be a fit place to incarnate love, then the energies that belong in it are those energies keyed to love. And you start listening to yourself in a different way once you realize that, and you recognize that every word you say comes from the energetic dynamics held within your own structure. Words of hatred, though they may seem to be about someone else, and usually the words of hatred come about when someone else threatens your body by not fulfilling a goal you have for them, then one engages in an energy that destroys the energy system, the home where love is designed to live, and they wonder why they're in pain and trauma. But they think they can say those hateful words about someone else and have no recognition because they've never learned to take care of their own minds and their own state of being, that every word is autobiographical. And words of hatred speak of the hatred that's stored within your energy system. And hatred stored within an energy system inhibits the presence of love within that system. Make the central figure of your life cause the state of being, the goose, as it were, in our analogy of the golden egg story. So take care of the truth of your being and recognize that every energy you engage in impacts the integrated state of your energy system. And the words that you use tell you what's going on inside of you. And when I want to hold a a meaning of a particular set of words and make them true about somebody other than myself, I'm telling myself a lie. You know, when we assign a meaning to someone else's actions and that meaning it's based in hostility or fear, we are engaging in a destructive act toward that which is designed to integrate and hold love present in our lives. I can't say hostile, fearful, hateful words about another without violating the integrity of the device that's designed for love to live in, for me to live in. And so once one starts on the path, and, you know, the the world has pretty much, if you take a look at it, been unconscious for so long, such insanity that death has become a normal thing. And they have no idea, they think that death has to do with time and bodies. They have no idea that death has to do with the energy that they engage in. 
and the energies of hostility, fear, rage, guilt, grief, pain, drama, and trauma are those energies which dissolve the integrity or destroy the integrity of this energy system and cause what looks like the body to fall over and die. And the body doesn't fall over and die because it hasn't been taken care of. The body falls over and dies because that's the central figure in most people's dreams. And they've done all kinds of crazy things to try to take care of it instead of take care of the state of being of love within themselves. And because we've been taught and we live on a, in a culture, in a world of just about total denial... And, and our definition of denial in this work is when I think or speak as though something outside of me is the cause of something inside of me, then by denying, by engaging in thoughts like you made me mad, there's mad in my energy system. Mad in my energy system is a disintegrative energy that will destroy my energy system and inhibit me from experiencing myself as love. But if I tell you that you made me mad, I now drive the madness of my own mind deep into my own tissue structure in an attempt to hide it from myself. And what I hide from myself destroys me. So to step out of the state of denial is to recognize and start to realize that I take care of my being and I take care of my mind by taking care of every word that I speak. And I make sure that the only words that I engage in, the only energies that I engage in are those which support the incarnation of love in my life. The incarnation of the truth of who I am, my human beingness, my newbornness, so to speak. And of course, the world has taught us that there are all kinds of people out there that deserve our rage. But when you recognize that you get the original and they get the carbon copy, and they may not be home for delivery, you realize that when one rages, it's their own energy system that they are violating. And so it behooves one to engage in gathering a set of tools with which to remove those things that destroy human life and ultimately destroy the energy system that our mind sees as a body. Again, there are energies which build the system up, energies which tear the system down. We live in a culture where it's totally acceptable to engage in all kinds of energies that tear the system down. In fact, you'll be praised and you'll be cheered. Just look at the political stage today and watch how, you know, in one case in particular, there's a gentleman who's out there, I, I perhaps use the word gentleman incorrectly, who proclaims that he is committed to being a war criminal, and there are thousands cheering and hooraying and hoping that he'll become the leader of the so-called free world in order to take care of their bodies. And they don't realize that they've given up the state of being to do it. And so the main tool to be engaged in is the tool of forgiveness, if you've been brought up in a world of hostility and fear, rage and guilt and grief and pain, then your energy system is filled with those energetic dynamics and you have all kinds of reasons to express them and, of course, to blame somebody else for the fact that you're feeling those things. You ever say to somebody, you made me mad, you made me sad, you hurt me, you really upset me, you you really have a problem. You ever said that to somebody? I have a question for you. If they're the one with the problem, why are you the one with the pain? Obviously, if they're the one with the problem, they would be the one with the pain. If you have pain and you don't know it, maybe you're living in denial. So if your mind assigns a given set of words a meaning and insists that it must be true about others but is not true about yourself, know that your mind is lying to you and you need to shift from matter 
and the body being the central figure of your dream to your mind and the state of being being central to your dream and making sure that your mind is a servant of the truth of who you are. And the words we use always tell us more about the content of our own mind, which is the content of what we call the body, than it tells us about the world that we're looking at, the pictures that show up in our minds. And so if I'm willing to heal the dream, the dream of a world of bodies, then I must be willing to remove everything that does not belong within this energy system. So the Course talks about, you know, what is the world? The world is false perception. It is born of error. It has not left its source. In other words, any hostility or fear that you've ever engaged in has never left the place where it resides, and it never will. And it will have an impact on the place where it resides, your own energy system. And once you recognize that, then you start to own everything based in hostility or fear and recognize that if you're talking about it, it's yours. If you're feeling it, it's yours. And you have an ancient obligation to take responsibility for that and clean it up. In Lesson 241, Section 3 in the Course, it says, The world but demonstrates an ancient truth. You will believe that what others do to you, pardon me, that others do to you exactly what you think you did to them. But once deluded into blaming them, you will not see the cause of what they do because you want the guilt to rest on them. In other words, if you engage in an energy and you rail against somebody else for that energy of whatever it is, some sort of trauma or pain, then when that energy moves in you and you've told your mind to direct that energy into a picture about them, then that energy moving in you will literally create a picture on the inside of your eyeballs about how somebody else is responsible for that in you. And you will not see that as long as you live in denial. I love how the Course talks about that particular idea. So once deluded into blaming them, you will not see the cause of what they do because you want the guilt to rest on them. It says, how childish is this petulant device to keep your innocence or your pretense of innocence by pushing guilt outside yourself but never letting go. And when we take our own guilt and fear and anger and sadness and we put it into a picture painted on the inside of our eyeballs, we think we're pushing outside of ourselves, but those things don't exist outside of us. They exist inside of us. So if you look without, as Jung says, you're in a dream, always dreaming. An energy moving in you creates these pictures, these dreams, and it's, it's no different asleep or awake. When you're in the dream state, energy moves in you, and it turns into pictures. You have a digital to analog converter. You might remember a few years ago, the FCC and its great wisdom said that all television broadcasting was going to be shifted from digital to analog, or pardon me, from analog to digital. Analog means pictures. You know, if you have an analog watch, there's a face and numbers and hands, and you can see the hands move. If you have a digital watch, it just gives you information. You know, it's one desperate, you know, colon 23, what have you. So everything is energy, digital, information. When energy moves in you, if you said to your mind, they made me, whatever's moving in you, mad, then you will use that energy of mad and it will be converted from information to pictures. Who was the they? Oh, Charlie. Okay, so make a picture of Charlie out of my anger. And now Charlie shows up in my mind and I have a picture of this guy that I think is Charlie. Now, You'll notice that people in things like anger and fear have a propensity to, to say things and describe things in a way they never happen. Has, has anybody ever had somebody tell you how you said a certain thing or you did a certain thing that never, ever happened? And they say, but I saw it. Well, that's right. You did see it. 
those brain cells were triggering you and you painted a picture on the inside of your eyeballs, if your thought was about me, if you wanted to put that thought into your brain's image of me, then that thought of anger shows up in your mind and you hold a picture of this angry person that you call Michael. If I happen to trigger wonder and beauty in you, then you take that which is moving in you and you make up this picture and say, oh, Michael, so wonderful in beauty. I am neither. I'm the presence of love. You're neither. You're the presence of love. But anyone who holds an energy in denial will create dreams and pictures of all these bodies. Now, now think about the last time somebody accused you of saying something you never said or doing something you never did. What state were they in? Were were they in that beautiful, pure state of being, that newbornness state, or were they in some sort of hostility or fear? Guaranteed. Hostility and fear creates a world of dreams. It paints those dreams on the inside of your eyeballs, and you push You think you're pushing that dream outside of yourself when the truth is it has never left its source. It remains within you. And it's not until you begin to remove it that you realize that you could live in a world where that does not exist. So the course goes on in this section to say, how childish is this petulant device to keep your innocence by the pretense of pushing guilt outside of yourself but never letting it go. It is not easy to perceive the jest when all around you do your eyes behold its heavy consequences without their trifling cause. Without the cause do its effects seem serious and sad indeed. They do but follow. So what the Course is saying is that all suffering is unnecessary. All suffering comes from generations and generations and generations of minds gathering hostilities and fears and rages and griefs and guilt until they do so much greed that, gee, if somebody doesn't have little green paper strips, millions of pounds of grain will be dumped in the ocean. Those children are starving to death. Because a dream that, oh, I have, yes, well, I have these this week, but, but I can't give it to them because they don't have those paper strips. Let them starve and we'll take that excess and dump it in the ocean rather than feed starving children. That's the kind of insanity that happens when we get stuck in these dreams. And so when you see the cause, then the effect as... Terrible as it is, becomes something we can free ourselves of because we understand where the cause is. We have the opportunity to begin to undo the cause. Yes, horrendous, horrific suffering in the world. Absolutely unbelievable. But if we keep getting stuck in the world of the body and suffering in that dream, then we engage in the, in the mind energy that maintains the dream. When we begin to wake up from the dream, when we begin to wake up to the truth of who we are, and we begin to bring the hostilities, fears, rages, guilts, griefs, and pains you know, that we project onto our spouses, our children, our parents, our neighbors, our friends, our enemies, when we bring them forward with responsibility and forgiveness, those things begin to be removed. And as we remove what never belonged, then everything starts to change. A world of suffering is impossible without the cause of suffering. So what the Course talks about is that there is literally an elemental force in you. In Aramaic, it was called Rukhutikutcha. In the Course, it says it's called the Holy Spirit. It says bring each terrible effect to that elemental force in you that you may look together on its foolish cause and laugh with her a while. 
the secret of healing all of this insanity is to recognize you've done it to yourself. No matter what the form of the attack, this is still true. Now, if you get millions of people joined in an insane mind energy and a rage and guilt, you can get other millions to go against it and create the insanity in mass. That's called war. And yet, all war is nothing but an accumulated focus on a world of bodies, on greed, on grief, on hatred and fear, and all of the suffering caused can be shifted when we shift the mind that caused it. When the root of your perception of pain is hidden from you, it will seem that the pain is unchangeable. And forgiveness is the key to giving that energy up because that energy is the energy that will produce attack in you. You live in a world of resonance. A fellow named Marcel Vogel had a camera with which he was able to take a picture of the high energy waves that leave the mind when we think of thought. Literally, when I hold some sort of suffering in me energetically, when that energy moves in me, it sends out a literal high energy wave that calls for someone and to play that out with me. Now, how do I bring this hidden suffering forward to this elemental force for healing? Now, the average person, when they hear forgive, they they think forgiveness is about me letting them off the hook. Well, they never did it to you, so there's nothing to let them off the hook for. Forgiveness is the removal of what does not belong in you. You know, the whole curriculum of the course in the introduction it says the curriculum is forgiveness and forgiveness is removal so it's not about letting your attacker off the hook because they responded to the call that you said I need to suffer I need someone to attack me never forgive anyone ever again uncover the part of your mind the cause level that you've hidden to make this figure that deserves your hostility or fear that you call someone else. And as you do that, you'll no longer radiate the message inviting attack, but you will radiate the message literally spraying a different energy into the world. The person in attack mode, the person in hostility or fear, is literally spraying on everyone the acid of hostility or fear. And people tend to respond to that. They don't particularly tend to like to have acid sprayed on them. And so they respond in kind. Once you shift inside yourself and begin to literally spray a different energy that you're so connected to the presence of love that you put something else into the world, the tendency is for people to respond differently. The Course says, when it comes to the how, it says, be willing for an instant to leave your altars, and that would be your conscious awareness. We talked about the Harvard research that says in a time frame where 10,000 brain cells fire, the max amount of data that gets into conscious awareness is nine bits. That's the altar, A-L-T-E-R. And and the the mind of the past, carbon-based memory wants to fill that thing with everything it has high energy about. And if we come from generations of suffering and pain and pain and blame and war, and, you know, take a look, 175 million people killed on the planet in the last 75 years, according to Columbia University. If we hold that mind, then that mind will tend to, that mind untended, because we're focused on tending to the body, the central figure in the dream, shift it to tending to your mind. Is this, does this hostility-based thought support the presence of love in me? No. If not, then I want to knock off of conscious awareness the end picture created out of that hostility, in this case, moving in me. I want to collapse that. And when I do, then what happens is I get to see the part of my mind that needs to be healed. And the Course says, your part, you can't process the quantities of energy it takes 
to move out of generations of hostility or fear. There is a power in you that can. And in chapter, let's see, uh, in the section on responsibility for sight, paragraph 6, chapter 5, pardon me, in the section healing and wholeness, it says your part is to return your thinking to the point at which your error was made. Well, gee, that might have been when I was two-year-old, Michael. How could I possibly remember that? Here's how you do it. In um, the lesson, lesson 164, I believe it's the sixth paragraph, it says, open a curtain in your practicing by merely letting go all the things you think you want. Your trifling treasures put away and leave a clean and open space within your mind where love can come. So you've got to collapse the world of pictures that keep you in the dream, thinking that the cause of what you're feeling is outside of you. The driver for that process is your goals. Notice you've never been hostile towards someone who's fulfilling all your goals. They're doing everything you want them to do. You're quite happy with them, right? It's only when they are not fulfilling a goal that you hold for them that you go into some sort of hostility toward them. That's because when you load a goal and someone frustrates that goal, if that goal links to your hostility or fear, then you'll make your picture of them out of your own hostility or fear. How do you clean that up? Let go all the things you think you want. You cancel the goal, which seems totally ridiculous until you realize how the mind works, and the mind is what recruits the quality of data. This is how you clean up the mind. If you load a goal and it recruits some form of hostility or fear, then you know there's some form of hostility or fear in you that will not support your human life, and you want to get rid of that. You want to remove that. But it lies under a whole shadow world of pictures and dreams. When you cancel the goal, it collapses the world of pictures and dreams. And when it collapses in on itself and you bring the presence of love with you, you get to access the hidden part of your own mind. And as you do that, healing occurs. When the root of your perception is exposed to love, it begins to dissolve. We are here to support you. We are here to learn for ourselves to dissolve literally every capacity for any form of hostility or fear and be returned to the truth of who we are as the presence of love. And we're here to join you in that. And if you have any questions, our call-in number is 646-200-4169. Jeannie, is Dr. Tim with us? He is. He is. Oh, great. Well, let's say hello and see if you have any thoughts to add to that uh, little synopsis of a couple of lessons from the course. Well, uh, I don't know about add to it. I can say it's um, it's a challenge. I um, I hear the challenge for me to tune in more moment to moment, day to day, and remember my essence as love and ask for ways to extend that rather than respond to the automatic conditioning uh, of of my culture. And I'm enjoying it. I was enjoying I was marveling. I was thinking about how many times you must have been through the course to have this facility with the lessons and the way they cross-reference each other. I think the course is kind of like Way of Mastery and some other books I've read, very few of them actually, but some books that are pretty much like fractals. They Every chapter or lesson in one way or another references every other chapter or lesson. 
and just keeps feeding back on itself and explaining uh, a primary concept from seemingly uh, an infinite number of different angles. And um, that's a good way to describe it—a fractal. That's exactly what it is. I was—I actually dug out my old Course in Miracles book. I brought it with me. You know, I taught the course for about seven years when I lived in South Florida, and I was showing it to Jeannie. And I mean, just about every page has got this tiny, tiny writing that I can hardly read anymore. All over every page, in all kinds of different colors, putting all those pieces together to go. Oh, that's how that fits with and making it a usable whole. It's, it's, it's been an interesting journey to do. <laughs> yeah, it's that that idea of being self-referential and coming back on itself, that's the kind of, and having the consistency, that's the marker I use to determine for me whether or not a writing is, if it's been um, ostensibly channeled or coming from another source, the consistency um, is one of the markers I look for. And of course, uh, the Course in Miracles has that. It's It really, although because of the, the use of a word like the world or a phrase like the world so many different times, it might seem upon first or third reading as contradictory or circular when one understands the context and the alternate meanings it's very consistent and um and so because that's you know that's what the message is consistent that's to me the lesson is i need to learn to be more consistent in the application of that message and uh, to bring my awareness moment to moment to incarnate, to really be present in the moment with that experience, that direct observation of my true nature as love. Right. And it's, you know, that idea of it being autobiographical, it's it's amazing when you just listen to people and you just listen to their words, how they think they're talking about somebody else or something that happened and they have no idea that they're telling their whole life story. And, and of course, once I start learning to listen to someone else's words, then I have to start listening to the words I use and I go, Oh, that's my hidden, that's the hidden piece I need to clean up. So it, uh, it, you know, every thought, every picture, every reality produced by mind, always says more about the content of that mind. And and it just, I mean, it is, that's an interesting lesson to learn because, of course, we've had modeled for us everywhere we looked our whole lives. I mean, from the greatest authority of our parents to the, you know, the people on television, the great actors, the the great players in history, what were they all talking about when they were in pain or turmoil or upset? How somebody else was responsible and somebody else did it to them. And they have no idea once that projection game has locked in, they have no idea that every word is telling their life story. And when we can start to tune into and listen to ourselves on that level, it just opens a space for a, just a totally different level of healing. And it's, it's pretty awesome to just have that single little piece of understanding and, and and to just listen to the story. And sometimes my mind doesn't even need to tell the story. It just wants to tell the story. <laughs> I go, oh, okay. Well, rather than stopping it, let it, let, let, this, let this story move and let me have a look at this. What's going on under here? And I get to clean up another layer and another piece and another layer and another piece. It is quite a process, isn't it? <laughs> it is. And thankfully for those of us who engage in it, um, deeply rewarding. I had just another session this morning where I I had to, I felt compelled anyway to share with somebody that every time I give anybody advice, even in my role as a psychologist, if I hear myself say the words, you know, you really need to, 
whatever follows after that is excellent advice for me. It's perfect advice for me, even if it's really good advice for the other person. And yeah. they had quite a hard time grabbing that concept that, you know, isn't that your job as a psychologist to give advice? And I said, no, basically my job as a psychologist is to help people uh, with observations and to teach them tools. And, you know, whether or not they use those tools or apply those observations or decide to make observations on their own, those are their life choices. My job isn't to tell people what to do. My job is, for the most part, to teach observation and to you know, model that observational process. And, um, and then almost immediately after that, the person said, well, yeah, but, you know, I was just telling my significant other that they had to do this, 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 and this. And I said, now just take a minute and apply <laughs> that that observation about every time I give advice, it's perfect advice for me. And she teared up because it was very clear to her that what she was telling her significant other to do is exactly what she needs to do. Yeah. Pretty pretty amazing stuff. That's pretty cool. It's pretty cool what masters we are at giving advice when we listen to it applied to ourselves rather than somebody else, isn't it? <laughs> yep. All autobiographical. Well, let's give a yep. quick check to the phone lines and see if we've got anybody with a hand up. Jeannie? Any happening in the chat room or anybody with a hand up in the phone queue? Yeah, in the chat room, actually, we were having a conversation about whether death was required or not. and I just basically said, you know, if I focus on what's at the very end, I'm going to miss the lessons along the way. It's kind of like being on a trip or a journey. You know, it's it's not just about the destination, but it's about the journey itself. And whether, you know, I will ever achieve the eternal life in this body does not, uh, mean that I don't do the work from day to day, that I take it one breath at a time, one step at a time, and, and face what's up at the, each moment and work towards that goal. And, you know, uh, so focusing on whether we will absolutely make it or not, I think kind of can be a distraction maybe to keep us from doing the work we need to do today. I don't know. But, yes, we have two I, hands I up. agree. I agree with you. And, you know, whether one one accomplishes that end result or not really doesn't matter by so doing they've made the contribution to the genetic stream and at the appropriate time if one individual or another doesn't make it someone in the stream is going to wake up to the point where they shift everything that would kill them out of their structure and they get to truly incarnate as human beings and and then that's when the real game begins that's that's where we're we're ultimately heading. But let's say hello to our caller. Okay, the first one's area code 707. You're on the air. Who do we have? Hi, you have Julie out here in Prompt. How are you guys today? And can you hear me? Well, hey, young lady. Welcome. We can hear you loud and clear. How are you doing? How are things in Pahrump? Uh Nice and cool for the desert at this time of year. Unbelievable, in fact. So it's That's enjoyable. unusual. Yes, I know a few is. years ago when we were out there with uh, with Stephen and Claudia, it was um, a year where I think he said they it was like a fifty year high in terms of rain and the four or the, uh, the the desert was just in bloom and it was awesome. It was just everywhere you turned was just awesome colors and it was pretty cool. Pretty cool time. Yeah, it can be around here. Okay, but. Um couple of things. One is um, I'm guilty for everything you're talking about today, which could be a lengthy conversation, but in kind of looking back at it and, you know, how you're talking, pointing fingers and saying you need or you are or whatever, and we're more or less talking about ourselves and what we need, isn't, didn't that kind of start at the hands of time with Adam and Eve? Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, uh, let's face it, you know, everybody wants to blame the apple in the tree. I think it was the pear on the ground, personally. And, uh, yeah, they're all <laughs> talking about somebody else. I mean, I mean, you listen to, to Eve, and it was the serpent. It was the serpent, right? And you listen to Adam, and it was Eve. And, and then it was, you know, he's talking ostensibly to God. And what does he say? He says to God, and that woman you gave me. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's God's fault. It's like, yeah, it started pretty early. <laughs> Oh, pretty early. 
intergenerational generational stuff again here because um, you know uh, trying to change and shift ourselves into that essence of love and, and quit pointing the finger and learn to do the inward thing. I mean, I just keep looking back again. It seems to be a favorite of mine is the generational aspect of, of all of this. And so look how far back it's gone. And I just um, kind of wanted to, well, you pretty well already responded to what I was saying. Well, and that's why it's an ongoing work. You know, when they, when they said to Yeshua, you know, how many of these worksheets do we have to do with seven enough? His response was 77 times 70, which I think quite literally means an infinite number of times till you're finished with that. And we're literally, you know, moving out of the desert of, of unconsciousness. And if you look at that story of the, uh, the Jews wandering in the desert, it's all a metaphor for where everybody lives in the game everybody gets to play. And, you know, it wasn't about being lost in a hot, sandy place. It was about being unconscious. And they said that to get out of the desert, the old generation had to die off. And that wasn't about people in old physical bodies physically dying. The root of the word generation is generate means cause. All of the causes from the generational mind, which, I mean, when you start to realize that you have every thought, every feeling, every reality engaged in by everybody in your bloodline forever, Mm-hmm. And there's a certain direction, a certain pattern of thinking, and all you have to do is watch your power person when the stress is up and the chips are down to see what your pattern is. And, you know, in most cases, it's not very pretty. <laughs> so so then when the stress is up and the chips are down, one does the next piece of work and the next piece of work and the next piece of work, and and, and it might take going back to that particular issue an infinite number of times until you're literally literally finished with that piece of work. And that's the process. Right. And, and you know, people right. say, well, that just sounds like so much work. I don't know if I want to bother doing this. Like, well, once you realize that's what a healed life, that produces a healed life, what else is there to do but to heal your life? You know, it's like, what else is there to do? We're almost out of time. Can you very quickly, I have a couple of people, friends here listening today, too, which is a good thing because right. um, awesome. we're spreading spreading out the word. But when you defi- uh, say power person, could you ha- uh, redefine that, please, sure. for everybody? Absolutely. And thank Absolutely. You. So a power person in this work, and it's going to have to be real quick. We're down to 90 seconds. A power person is a person who at some time in your life had more power over your life than you did. You perceived it as survival, and they weren't functioning as love. When we're stuck in power person dynamics, there are only three possible behaviors for that person for the rest of their lives until they resolve those unconscious power person dynamics. The behaviors depend on the level of stress. And so here's what runs one through the power person dynamic for most of their lives. When there's no stress, they'll automatically do whatever they did to get along with their power person. When stress starts to build, they'll shift out of doing that, and they'll do whatever they did to resist and survive with their power person. And then when they become ultra-stressed, they'll do whatever their power person did to them that they hated the most. And that's what runs the world, is that power person dynamic. The whole idea of forgiveness is to reach inside the hidden parts of the generational mind and remove those dynamics so that I can keep coming forward through my form as the active presence of love and keep coming forward and keep coming forward and keep coming forward. Thanks for the question, Julie. Have the best year yet of your eternal life. It's a blessing to the world. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice, and myself, Jeannie Rice, as we present the Internal Aramaic Process of Forgiveness. We are here every Monday through Friday from 1 to 2 o'clock Eastern Time on Earth Angels Radio. For more on Michael, myself, or Aramaic Forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. That's www.why. A-G-A-I-N dot org.